the first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there. They're going to hold on to everything the disease steals away. And the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen by funding research, advancing public policy, and spurring scientific breakthroughs. And by providing local support to those living with the disease and their caregivers, we're easing the burden until we accomplish our goal. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. Uh, today, we have a special episode for all of you guys. Um, instead of Los here with us today, uh, we have our good friend Adam Pfeiffer, who is a writer for Project Roto, uh, XN Sports, and he also does DFS baseball and football. Uh, for Daily Fantasy Bootcamp. Uh, Adam, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, pretty pretty uh, lucky and fortunate, I guess, to say that uh, we started recording this tonight instead of, you know, earlier in the day. We might have been out of luck with some news. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. That, uh, that's pretty crazy or not crazy uh, about Arian Foster, depending on how you look at it. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's especially painful for me because I was you know, I was hyping him up a lot as a guy who I would have taken, you know, in the earlier picks and where whereas others would kind of wait for him in the second. Um but obviously now with the news, uh you can't take him anywhere near where he was supposed to be going. Uh, I mean, this is a guy I wrote about uh, I wrote a nice long article at XN Sports about him about I don't know maybe a week ago, not even like 5 days ago. So, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, I think actually up until his uh, groin injury reported today, he was actually a little bit undervalued because this is a guy who was a top five running back despite missing two or three games last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and over the last five years, uh, he's been a top five running back, uh, I think, four of those, of those years. Um, his efficiency is just off the charts. I mean, you look at fantasy points per snap last season, only DeMarco Murray was better. Only DeMarco Murray averaged more rushing yards per game. I mean, you can make the case that he was the second-best running back in the NFL last year. And you could, and I think you can make the case that, other than maybe Marshawn Lynch and Adrian Peterson, there hasn't been a better running back in the NFL over the past six or seven years. So um, he was a guy, and this offense was going to absolutely feature him. I mean, they were going to, they already ran the ball more than anybody last year. They don't have the, the personnel to be anything but that. And, and now they just don't have any personnel at all other, other than DeAndre Hopkins. So. Um, it's definitely going to hurt this, this offense as a whole, this team as a whole. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just selfishly upset that Foster got hurt. So let's, let's talk a little bit about now, um, assuming that he is placed on IR designated to return, then he can, you know, he can be activated to play after week eight. Um, so you're going to be missing him for, you know, the majority of the fantasy season. At at what point in the draft now, around what round would you, you know, maybe still be willing to take a risk and take him? Um, yeah, depending on your, how your team looks and how you feel about your team, um, I can make the case for him and maybe the, the early, as earliest as the, the 10th round. I mean, he, he's going to miss at least the first seven weeks of the season, assuming that this the severity of this injury is as, is as true as it's been reported and that he's going to need surgery. Um, and and they're not going to want to rush him back. I mean, you, you got to think the Colts are going to have this division locked up. Um, and you know the only thing Houston may have a chance at with their defense is the wild card. But um, you, you got to think if if they don't have anything to play for, which is a strong possibility now, 
they probably won't rush him back. So um, maybe I would take a shot on him in the 10th or 11th round, but um, no time anywhere near sooner than that. I definitely want to throw my starting roster and get a few uh, you know, reserves that are actually going to play uh, than Aaron Foster, which is, you know, I didn't think I'd be saying that you know, last night. I, I kind of see the situation sort of how, uh, or at least around the ADP that Josh Gordon was going last year since we were right. expecting him back late in the season. Um, but, you know, Foster is that sort of player who could give you that push in the playoffs that you need uh, to win the title. So I, I do agree that he's still worth taking a shot on, you know, late in your draft. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, I'm probably going to just let everyone else go over, go crazy over guys like Alfred Blue because if you watched any sort of football last year, you know that he was just really, really bad. Just the complete opposite of Aaron Foster. He was completely inefficient. Um, so I'm just going to let somebody else reach for him and maybe try to steal Chris Polk or someone like that later on who I think is probably going to be the better, you know, the more fantasy-conducive role in that offense, and that's the goal line work. We saw it with Philadelphia last season. Well, um, I'm not sure if you saw yet. This was very recent, but um, the Texans are actually bringing in Pierre Thomas for a visit and a physical. Oh, they are? Okay. That's what I figured, though. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, assuming that they sign him, would uh, where where do you think you would take him, just out of curiosity? Um, I could... I don't, I don't think they're going to want to give him a, a huge workload in terms of the rushing. Um, I think it's going to be a, a committee, but... I mean, Pierre Thomas is he's going from, you know, that Saints offense that is just bread and butter made for, for receiving backs. And now he's going to Houston where, you know, they don't, they don't have anything. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what his role is going to be. So uh, that's probably another guy I probably won't even touch unless he just really falls. But um, if people are drafting Pierre Thomas thinking he's going to get, you know, first, second, and third down role for the Texans, uh, they're going to be in for a I think they're going to be in for a surprise. I'd be shocked if he saw that kind of usage. Um, what, one last quick related question to this uh, Foster in injury, and then we'll move on to uh, discussing some sleepers and undervalued players this year. Um, but, but real quick, uh, what do you think about Hopkins now? Because before, you know, last year, uh, the number one cornerbacks were still covering Andre Johnson. Uh, so their focus is going to be on Hopkins now. And up until today, at least that, you know, they had to worry about Foster as well, so they couldn't just kind of lock down Hopkins. Are you dropping him in your rankings at all because of this? I actually did a, a, earlier this afternoon. I moved him, I think, three or four spots. So I think he's still around that 16, 17 range, but um, I don't have the exact numbers, but in the games Arian Foster missed last season, DeAndre Hopkins was not very effective. And obviously you could, you know, kind of just say, okay, maybe it was an Andre Johnson type of game or, um, you know, Hopkins is sure to see a ton of targets now with Foster Herp. Um, I don't know how those targets will look coming from Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett, whoever wins that starting job, but um, I just don't like this offense. I mean, you could you can make the case that this offense was one of the worst in football if they didn't have Aaron Foster, and now they don't. So um, I, I did move him down a little bit, but I'm, I'm not overly panicked about him just because I think the, the targets are going to be there. And you saw that he has big play potential. I mean, I think he was top five in, in yards per target and, and uh, statistics of that nature. So he's stretching the field and he makes big plays. But um, I definitely did move him down a tiny bit. Sure, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, I, I wouldn't panic too much just yet. I think Hopkins is an extremely talented 
wide receiver. I think he has one of the lowest drop rates over the last few years in the NFL. Um, our, yeah, he, and he caught everything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's had some, you know, huge plays where, you know, not not a lot of wide receivers could have made those catches. But um, all right, uh, why don't we move on and we'll start talking about some of the sleepers that we have. Um, you know, go ahead and uh, start off with whoever you want to. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be like myself to not talk about C.J. Spiller first. So we can, we can get that out of the way, I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, I mean, I, I'm a Bills fan for those who aren't aware. So I've, I've been a Spiller fan for a while. But I don't think you can actually come up with a better fit for a better player than C.J. Spiller and the Saints. I mean, um, this is a guy who was underused in Buffalo. They didn't seem to want to use him in the passing game a lot. Part of that was because Fred Jackson was so, so strong in pass protection and in pass catching for that matter. Um, but you look at the Saints offense, Jimmy Graham and his almost 300 targets over the last year, two seasons are gone. Pierre Thomas averaged 70 targets during that span per season. He's gone. And this was a team that already led the NFL in running back target or targets to the running back last season, and that was with Jimmy Graham. So I think C.J. Spiller who is a perfect fit for this offense, is absolutely explosive in indoor uh, situations. I think he averages 5.9 yards per carry for his career in, in domes and on turf. So I think C.J. Spiller in a PPR league, I think he could catch at least 80 passes a season. I don't, I, I don't think that's out of the question at all. Um, you look, I mean, Drew Brees, if, uh, if you don't just flat out watch football a lot, He's the best screen passer in the NFL. So Spiller's going to have a great time going from the likes of E.J. Manuel to, to Drew Brees. And, and even though I think the Saints do want to run the ball a little bit more this season, they're not just going to come out and be you know, the, the Jets or the Seahawks or the Texans. They're still going to throw the ball quite a bit with, with Drew Brees slinging it. So um, Spiller's a guy I've been targeting everywhere. The hype is starting to come around on him lately, and he's, his ADP is probably going to keep rising, I think. But the Saints are excited about him. Sean Payton's been talking him up, saying he can do things that Darren Sproles can't. And we've seen what, uh, how, how involved he's been in that offense. So I, I love Spiller this season. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm 100% with you here. I think that you're one of the few people that I've uh, spoken with the last month or so who are, are truly as high on Spiller as I am. Um, I, I think that Spiller's floor this year is an RB2. Um, and I think that he's got top 10 potential if he can hit those numbers. Um, just a quick stat, uh, between Jimmy Graham, Kenny Stills, Pierre, Th- Pierre Thomas, and Travaris Cadet last year, um, they had over 300 targets between the four of them, and none of them are on the Saints any longer. Um, obviously, right. Brandon Cooks is going to take away some of that, and I expect Colston to you know, play a bigger role than he did, but I think that a ton of those checkdowns and screens are coming Spiller's way. Yeah, and let's not forget, this guy's really good at running the football, too, and he's going to get carries. I mean, the last fully healthy season he had, pro football focus, um, they do the elusive ratings. He had the highest elusive rating they've ever recorded. So this is a guy who's still one of the most explosive running backs in the league. The Saints, um, on that Jimmy Graham trade, they obviously got Max Unger. They drafted Andres Pete in the draft, so they've, they've upgraded that offensive line. Um, so Spiller's still going to get a good amount of carries to go on top of where I think he's going to have 75 to 80 catches at least if he's healthy. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Spiller is going to be an absolute PPR monster, and I, I, I'm totally on board with his uh, current draft price, even in the late third round. I think he's absolutely worth it at that point. Agreed. Okay, so now that uh, we agree on C.J. Spiller, I think this is a good segue into a former Saints running back that I think is actually uh, pretty underrated this year, and that's Reggie Bush. Um, Bush is currently going uh, in the eighth round, uh, which prices in his injury risk, but also I think that he's got a high reward and a high ceiling at his current ADP as an RB3 or RB4 even on, on your roster. Um, because let's be honest here, San Francisco is just a mess this year. And, you know, they've lost on defense. They've lost a ton of players. Uh, Patrick Willis retired. Uh, Chris Borland shockingly retired. Um, they've lost Justin Smith to retirement. Uh, Ray McDonald, he's been a whole uh, bundle of off-field issues, which unfortunately, you know, my beloved Chicago Bears took a, took a shot on him and uh, whiffed there. Um, and they've lost uh, cornerback Chris Culliver to Washington. So, I, you know, my thought here is that San Francisco is going to be playing from behind quite a bit this year. Uh, you know, I think they've actually dropped now and become the worst team in the NFC West. And my thought is that Bush is basically a lock to, you know, be there on third downs. And, you know, he'll take some carries away from Carlos Hyde as well. And I think that Bush has the potential to catch, you know, 50, 60 plus balls this year. What do you think about that? Yeah, to be honest, Bush hasn't really been on my radar, but here's the thing with Reggie Bush. I think the way you view Reggie Bush is the way you view the San Francisco team as a whole. Like, if you think San Francisco is going to be terrible, and if you think they're going to be throwing a lot, then I think then I think you can definitely have a case for Bush, and, and you can take him. Um, I've seen that the Niners, and I don't know really what it's worth, but I've seen them really talking and hyping up Kendall Hunter. Um, and then obviously Carlos Hyde's there. I don't think Reggie Bush is, is done in fantasy by any means. Like, I think he's going to have some, some weeks. Um, I could see him catching, I think he's going to run the, rush the ball hopefully 100 times. I mean, I've seen a lot of projections that only have him around 60 or 70. Um, so I think the value for him is definitely going to be in PPR if he does uh, have a big year. Um, but I really haven't been on Reggie Bush. There's, there's just a lot of other guys I've been more interested in, guys who I think have a better path to playing time. But again, if you if you do believe that the Niners are going to be as bad as as you say they think as you think they will be, and and I don't think they're going to be good by any means either. Um, I'm definitely more on the side that they're going to have to throw more than than they have in years past. Um, then then Reggie Bush is probably you know on your a little bit higher on on your draft board than most people. But I definitely see the case because Carlos Hyde is a completely different back than Reggie Bush, and he gives him that different element. Yeah, and I think my reasoning is that, you know, I've been experimenting a little bit with different draft strategies in a couple of my recent drafts. And uh, one of the things was in a, in a start two running back, three wide receiver league, I went pretty wide receiver heavy. Um, so I have a pretty good advantage at other positions. And I think in those cases, or more, you know, more as a bye week or flex play, I think that Bush is actually a pretty good value in the eighth. Um, you know, I definitely don't think that he's going to, you know, outplay Carlos Hyde by any means, but I think that he's pretty locked into that role. Uh, my view of Kendall Hunter has always been that he's more of a contributor on special teams, um, you know, than an actual running mm -hmm. back. Um, but I can certainly see that there's risk with Bush. But again, I think that, you know, that's priced into his ADP right now. And I think that 
it's pretty good value, you know, based on the other guys who are going around that price range. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the cool thing about some of these guys that you used to you know take really early guys like Reggie Bush and T.J. Spiller. I mean, maybe not so much Spiller, but you can definitely get them at more of a value than you ever have. I mean, I remember after his big year, I had Spiller as my number two overall player. He was going you know top ten. Um, so now you can get him in the you know the fourth. You can get a guy like Reggie Bush. You know, I think I've seen him go a lot later than the eighth round. So you could probably get him even later. Um, so I mean, there's definitely upside in taking them, and really, there's there's not a whole lot of downside because you're not investing too much uh, with a guy like Reggie Bush where he's going. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about a guy that I, I see that you have on your list who you are going to need to uh, invest in relatively early, and that's uh, Steelers wideout Martavis Bryant. Um, now, obviously, he had a huge hot stretch, you know, the end of last year. Um, are you expecting to take, uh, you know, expecting him to take another big step forward here? Well, I will say this: I don't expect him to. I don't expect thirty of his thirty percent of his receptions to go for touchdowns. I mean, that last year was kind of ridiculous. But um, I, I love the Steelers' offense. I mean, the, you can make the case that they're the top offense in football. I mean, they have arguably the best receiver. They have arguably one of the best running backs. Um, they have Big Ben, who's just continuing to play at a high level. I think he's a perfect fit because you compliment him with Antonio Brown, who pretty much does everything, but he's more of an underneath guy, guy that can you know get across the middle, go underneath, do screens. And you have Bryant, who is pretty much a practical burst clone, if you look at him. And last season, only Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning threw more passes in the red zone than Ben Roethlisberger. This is a team that's going to be moving the ball up and down the field pretty well and pretty efficiently. And I think they're going to want to get him involved more. I mean, he didn't play a, lot, a large percentage of the snaps most of the last season. And then in their one playoff game that they played, I think he played around 90% of the snaps. So they want him to be involved more. Um, I, I love his you know, red zone ability, obviously. And I think the Steelers will be in the red zone a lot. Um, and, and for some reason, they, I don't know, maybe they fixed it this year, but they haven't been running the ball a lot in the red zone. Uh, Le'Veon Bell owners from last year, I'm sure they weren't mad, but they could have had a lot more touchdowns from him. The Steelers gave him the ball. So I think Martavis Bryant, the hype is definitely coming for him a lot. And hopefully that news that Ben Roethlisberger thinks Marcus Sweeten is their number two kind of pushes that ADP down a little bit. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of Martavis Bryant this season, that Steelers offense. And especially the first two weeks without Le'Veon Bell, I mean, they might have to throw the ball a lot more, and that's more targets for him. I, I, I don't buy Marcus Wheaton as a number two. I mean, he never really panned out. He's supposed to be a, a big, play a big role last year when Sanders was went to Denver, and that never really happened. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I, actually, for those who you know don't follow as closely as we do, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was recently quoted, uh, I believe, it was on a morning radio show that uh, he's expecting Marcus Wheaton to break out this year, and that Wheaton is going to be the number two wide receiver. Um, and he's talking about how Wheaton is going to play outside in two wide receiver uh, sets and then how they're going to move Wheaton to the slot and bring in Bryant on the on the outside for three wide out sets. And the thing is, the Steelers played so many three wide out sets that it doesn't even matter if Wheaton is, you know, the number two guy. Exactly. Because Bryant is still going to be that downfield threat and he's going to be the primary red zone threat because, let's face it, Antonio Brown you know, as talented as he is, he's not exactly a jump ball, go up and get a guy in the end zone. No, and I think event, even if this is true, like, Brian is too talented and, and, and too 
too physically gifted to not be on the field. And I, I really don't really buy what Ben Roethlisberger is saying. He might just be trying to talk Wheaton up um, and kind of get his confidence up. So I, I really hope people kind of buy into this and I can get Brian a little bit more of a, of a discount because I'm really high on him. So just a uh, quick would you rather here. Um, another guy who a lot of people are expecting to break out around his price point or an ADP uh, is Allen Robinson. Given the choice between the two in, say, round six, who would you rather have? Well, I actually have Bryant five spots higher than Robinson in my ranking, so I have to go with Bryant. I just I I love Allen Robinson as a player. Um I watched him at Penn State. I'm I'm from around the area. And, you know, he's a really gifted player. He's got great hands. Um and he played he was on a nice pace last year, even with Blake Bortles before he got hurt. But I'll I'll take the I'll give the advantage to the guy who's playing in a much better offense. And one of the offenses that was one of the top units in the league last season. Yeah, I would uh, I would have to agree there because despite you know Allen Robinson's talent, there's just no comparison between Ben Roethlisberger and Blake Bortles at this point. Yep, and I I don't think that I mean obviously Antonio Brown could easily lead the league in targets it, like 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 he usually seems to do, um, but I think Jacksonville kind of you know I don't I wouldn't. 100% say Allen Robinson would lead the league in targets or the team in targets. I think he will if he stays healthy, but you know, they kind of have a lot of guys there. They have Marquise Lee, they have, you know, Julius Thomas there now. So I think there's less mouths to feed in Pittsburgh um, than, than there are in Jacksonville. And then obviously the Big Ben and Bortles comparison isn't close. Yeah, absolutely. And just in general, I fully expect the Steelers to have so many more red zone opportunities than, you know, Jacksonville too. Yep, and even when Jacksonville gets in, I could I I see them running the ball and or or trying to use Julius Thomas and and I don't I, obviously Brian is more of a red zone receiver than than Allen Robinson is. I I just think I just think Brian's in a perfect spot. Yeah, absolutely. So let let's talk about I see a little bit of crossover um, on our two lists of sleepers, and the next guy uh, that I wanted to bring up is Stevie Johnson, who's now in San Diego. Um, you know, this is a guy who has you know i would say the best quarterback he's ever had throwing to him you know he went from buffalo to san francisco with colin kaepernick where they didn't even really use him and now finally he's in san diego kind of replacing you know eddie royal spot and you know stevie johnson had three straight thousand yard seasons from 2010 to 2012 with ryan fitzpatrick and now you've got antonio gates suspended for four games I see wide receiver three production from Stevie Johnson, and he's going really late right now in round 12, round 13. Yeah, I've seen, I've been talking about Stevie Johnson a lot, and I've I've heard people say that he's not a good receiver, and I don't understand where they're getting that from. I mean, he wasn't used very much in San Francisco last year, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I'll have to look this up later on, but I'm pretty sure Colin Kaepernick's uh, quarterback rating and passer rating were pretty pretty impressive when he targeted Stevie Johnson last season. So um, this is a guy, like you said, those thousand yard seasons in Buffalo. I'm a Bills fan. He he's a great great route runner. And, and when you're playing with Philip Rivers, that that gets you a lot of targets. I mean, Philip Rivers is a guy doesn't have the most. Uh, he has, he has one of the most unorthodox deliveries, but. Uh, he's accurate, and he can get you the football when you're open. And Stevie Johnson can still get open. I mean, people assume he's like a 35-year-old guy because he's been around for a while. Uh, he's not even 30 years old yet. So 
with Antonio Gates gone, who does Ant- who does Philip Rivers look for on third down? Antonio Gates. It's always Antonio Gates. And I think Stevie Johnson is going to find himself getting looked at a lot in those situations in the four weeks he's gone. Um, and I just think at his price point, there's no reason not to take a shot on him when he's playing with the best quarterback he's ever had. Yeah, and I, you know, you brought up the comparison between Rivers and Kaepernick, and I think that you know Rivers is a much better anticipation thrower than Kaepernick is, um, which is you know one of the big strengths of Stevie being able to get that separation in the open field, and then also at the same time, I think Kaepernick has a tendency to kind of lock on to his number one read. Uh, which tended to be Anquan Bolden last year. Um, and that's part of the reason that Crabtree declined as well. And Stevie just never really got a chance to really show what he had. And I think that this was, you know, one of the best places that he could have possibly landed. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting big things from him. Like, I was talking um, talking about him on Twitter, and it may be a stretch, but I wouldn't be, like, totally surprised like I wouldn't be shocked if he led that team in receiving. I mean, I know Keenan Allen's there. I know Gates is coming back, but I just think I just think he's he's still very talented, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Keenan Allen will probably see more targets from him, but I, I wouldn't a hundred percent. Okay, shock so him. just uh, a quick over under. Uh, would you give him over under eight hundred yards? Eight hundred. I'll take the over. I'm 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 a big Stevie fan. I'll, I'll stay with him. I'll take okay. the over. Okay, and then so in the last two seasons, um, Eddie Royal has had 15 touchdowns. Um, so what about the over under at seven and a half touchdowns for Stevie Johnson this year? Seven yeah. and a half, you said. Uh, I'll take the under on that one. I, I he's never been a huge touchdown guy, and. In the red zone, there's kind of a lot of guys that Rivers can look at. I mean, this is uh, Malcolm Floyd's last season, but he's been always he's always been pretty pretty good in that role. Gates will be back, and he gets. I think he was the most targeted, other than Martellus Bennett. He was one of the most targeted tight ends in the red zone last season. Um, so I'll take the under on seven okay. and a half. Um, but either either way, those are still very respectable wide receiver numbers, and he's going, I think, around wide receiver fifty or so. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, he had he had almost 500 yards last season on only 35 catches. So I think he's going to catch a lot more than 35 balls this year. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. I think, you know, we can expect him to be, I would say the total catches probably around between 50 or 60. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think he, I think he can catch 65 balls in this offense if, 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 as long as he, you know, obviously stays on the field. I don't think that's out of the question at all. But I think a, a safe uh, estimate is probably, I think he catches at least 50. Yeah, and I mean, I would expect no less because, you know, they have, you know, a healthier offensive line now than last year. Rivers is healthy, and assuming that Melvin Gordon works out, they'll have a strong run game as well, and that should help open up the passing lanes a little bit too. For sure. All right, so uh, what's another guy that you've got on your list here? Um. Not a huge sleeper. Um, he, he's obviously, you know, being talked about as a as a, as a top draft pick. But um, Amari Cooper is a guy. I'm 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 not worried about him being in Oakland. Um, I see him being kind of similar to Jarvis Landry of the season he had last year. You know, a lot of catches. Um, but I think he has a way higher ceiling because, first of all, he's one of the best wide receivers prospects to come out 
I would say in a while, but we had that crazy rookie class last season. But um, this is a guy who dominated in the SEC, had just ridiculous numbers all around. And I don't think that Derek Carr is that bad, and I think he's going to fit well. I mean, you look at this Raiders team last season, I'm not sure how many people realized it, but they threw the ball 66% of the time, which led the league. I mean, obviously, that's the play with them playing from behind, but um, are we really to believe that they're not going to be playing from behind again this season? Um, I do think they're going to try to at least establish the run, but once they get behind, I mean, it's going to be Amari Cooper. He's, he, I think he's going to be a PPR stud. Um, I'm expecting him to catch around 80 balls if he stays healthy because he runs such good routes. He has great hands, and like I said, they're going to be behind. Um, he, I think he's going to be a P, PPR machine. And it's kind of a small sample size, but in college at, at Alabama, he caught at least five balls in 85% of his games. So, I mean, he's, I think he's going to be awesome this season. And I'm not, uh, if people are worried about him being on the Raiders, and I'll, I'll take Cooper off their hands for sure. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, you know, a lot of his production may come in garbage time. And I, I think a lot of people kind of knock down receivers. Uh, for that but I, I don't see why that is because honestly you know you mentioned that I don't expect this Raiders defense to be that much improved from last year they didn't really add any big pieces you know Khalil Mack is a great player but you know he he can only do so much and they are going to be playing from behind um, despite you know what they may try to do with the run game um, and I think that Cooper is going to get a you know a ton of receptions in garbage time just like Michael Rivera did last year Yep, and I just I think I just love him as a player, so it's kind of a little bit of bias there. But um, he's just gonna. I think he's like I thought he was easily, and it's not even close, the most pro ready player to come into this to come into this out of this draft class. So I think he's gonna have no no trouble adjusting. I think he's gonna have a really nice year, and I I also think he's gonna be a Pro Bowler in and you know in, in no time. Like I think he's that good. So where do you uh, where do you have Cooper in your rankings for wideouts? I have him, and I may be one of the highest on him. Right now, I have him at 21. Oh, wow. Okay, that is pretty high. And I'm actually not even the highest. I just saw Mike Clay from Pro Football Focus has him 18, and Jamie Eisenberg has him 18 as well from CBS. So there's even more, there's even uh, people higher on him. Yeah, I think I'm, you know, slightly lower on him than you guys are. Um, Like, who are a few uh, wide receivers that you have behind him on your rankings? Uh, Golden Tate is right behind him. Vincent Jackson's right behind him. I actually have him higher than Keenan Allen. I have Amari Cooper as the highest uh, ranked uh, player receiver outside of, uh, obviously, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders in that division. So um, Tate, Jackson, Allen, Sammy Watkins, Allen Robinson are, are some of the names behind him. Okay. I, I, I think that uh, that's certainly a fine argument. I don't think that's insane by any measures. Um, you know, Cooper is... One of the knocks on him going into uh, Combine was that he wasn't, you know, a superstar in terms of metrics, but he proved every, everybody wrong when he ran that 4-4-2 40-yard dash. Um, I think that he is, you know, super pro-ready. And say what you will about Derek Carr, but he'll get the ball into his hands. Yeah, and the thing about Amari Cooper, I did, um, before up leading to the draft, I did, like, some uh, some film studies and wrote up some guys that are going to have a fantasy impact this season as rookies. And what I noticed from Amari Cooper is that he has a really good feel for where the coverage is around him, where the safeties are, where the corners are, where the linebackers are. 
Um, so that's really, really nice to see, especially when you're playing with a young quarterback that you're bringing in a rookie receiver who's so smart and has such good awareness in the field. And then plus you just add all of, you know, the metrics and his hands and his route running and all that. I just think he's going to be a great player. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I can't wait to see what he's you know really made of and to see what he does week one. Um, so one of the one of the guys that I really want to talk about that I think is really interesting right now is Ryan Matthews. Um, so now he's in a timeshare in Philadelphia with Demarco Murray, uh, but I think that he's actually a really good value in the eighth or ninth round where he's going right now. Um, I think again, you know, his injury risk and his you know, sharing the carries is kind of priced into that ADP. And you can get him six, seven, eight rounds after DeMarco Murray gets drafted. And you might actually get similar production out of Ryan Matthews because, you know, believe it if you will, but, um, you know, some of the Philadelphia beat reporters um, have been saying that it might be closer to a 50-50 carry split um, than you think because Chip Kelly really wants to kind of divvy up the workload between his running backs instead of, you know, having one workhorse like he did LaShawn McCoy last year. And, you know, especially because DeMarco Murray always seems to get hurt. He's only played one full season, you know, since he's been in the NFL. And if for whatever reason DeMarco Murray goes down, then you have an instant running back one in Ryan Matthews right there. Oh, yeah, it's not even close. I think people are going to view Ryan Matthews as a DeMarco Murray handcuff. And I view Ryan Matthews as a guy I'm going to try to take from you. I don't care if you have DeMarco Murray. I'm going to wait on him. First of all, I think he's still going to, I think he's going to see 8 to 12 touches a game regardless of DeMarco Murray's status. Like Philadelphia, they obviously, was a little, the circumstances were a little different, but they, they acquired him before DeMarco Murray. I mean, they sought him out before Murray in free agency. So I think Chip Kelly, I mean, Ryan Matthews and DeMarco Murray are, Murray are similar runners. They're downhill runners. They're violent runners. They're, they're forces between the tackles. So I think they want to give Ryan Matthews, you know, eight to twelve touches a game. I, I don't think Murray's going to see, you know, twenty to twenty-five at at all. So I'm going to grab Ryan Matthews, and like you said, he's easily a running back one if Demarco Murray goes down. It's not even close. Um, this is a guy, who, you know, people kind of forget about it because he he's often hurt, but he's a really good player. I mean, he averages four point five yards per carry for his career. I mean, the two seasons he's played at least fourteen games. 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards, six touchdowns, six touchdowns. I mean, nothing out, out of this world, but he's a very good running back. And behind this offensive line that, you know, they I think I, I was reading that they had like, 10 different starters last season. Um, obviously, they're still very strong with Jason Peters leading the way. They're still, I think they were second run blocking last season behind Dallas. So there's opportunity here. The volume is going to be there because nobody ran more plays than the, the Eagles did last season. So when people are, you know, taking these other guys and thinking, oh, Ryan Matthews is a handcuff to DeMarco Murray, you may think that, but Ryan Matthews to me is a guy that I want as a breakout candidate regardless of DeMarco Murray because he's going to get work, and if by chance Murray does go down, you know, he's going to be one of my best fantasy players because he's going to fit that offense really well, I think. Um, you know, I've heard a couple arguments where, you know, people are saying that, oh, well, DeMarco Murray is going to be the goal line back, and that's just not true. If Chip Kelly runs his, you know, quick tempo, no huddle offense, and if they get down to the red zone while 
uh, Ryan Matthews is in, he's not going to pull him out. He's just going to keep going. And, you know, whoever is there at the goal line is going to get that carry. Um, I could totally see Ryan Matthews with six or seven rushing touchdowns. Um, I don't think that he's going to get a ton of receiving work. Uh, but like you said, I view it closer to um, a Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard split than, you know, a backup role. And I think that's how he's being viewed right now. Oh, yeah. I've been telling this to people a lot because I think I have DeMarco Murray um, 11th right now in my rankings at running back. Like, I'm down with DeMarco Murray because I, it's not even because of DeMarco Murray. I think he's a great fit in this whole event as well. And I think the, the people that think his season last year was solely because of the Dallas offensive line, I think they're dead wrong, but I really do believe Ryan Matthews is going to see 8 to 12 touches a game um, when DeMarco Murray's in the game as well. Like, I think they want him to be involved. Right now, um, I'm looking at some of the ESPN projections. They have Ryan Matthews projected for 184 carries, and DeMarco Murray they have uh, projected for 262. Um, I... I could see that, but I might even, I think it might even be a little closer. Yeah, you know, I actually think that Matthews could exceed 200 touches. I don't think that's out of the question by any means. Yeah, and he's good enough, and he's deserving enough. And like I said, I I just really think Ryan Matthews is probably a top 10 running back at least if Murray goes down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they signed him to, you know, a huge contract. Uh, He signed through 2017 with a lot of dead money. Um, You know, you mentioned that, you know, they signed him before they actually signed Murray. So they obviously like him enough to, you know, trust in him and rely on him if Murray were to go down. Absolutely. All right. uh, Who's another guy that you have on your list then? All right. Let's look at. Let's look at Carson Palmer. Um, you know, I wrote an article recently on XN Sports talking about, you know, two or three late-round quarterbacks to target if you're going to go with the streaming philosophy. And Carson Palmer is definitely one of my favorites. Um, here's a guy who people don't realize it again with him, but when he's healthy and when he has a clean pocket, he was really, really productive last season and even seasons before that. Um, he looked last season before he got hurt. Um, Six starts last season, he averaged 17 and a half fantasy points per game, just under two touchdowns per game as well. So he was on pace to be a top 12 fantasy quarterback. And when he was healthy, that Cardinals offense was top 10 in the NFL in passing. So he made a huge difference for that team. I think the, the offensive line is going to be a lot better with Mike Ayupati coming over. Um, hopefully Jonathan Cooper stays healthy. And he's got weapons there. I mean, he's got Larry Fitzgerald. He's got John Brown. He's got Michael Floyd. Andre Allenson can surely catch passes out of the backfield. And, I mean, even Jermaine Gresham's a little bit of an upgrade over that at tight end. So I think Palmer, in in a league where teams are passing more and more, I think Palmer, I don't, I don't know how successful Car- the Cardinals are going to be running the ball. And I think Palmer is, is the guy that could easily be a top at least 15 quarterback if he stays healthy. Now, obviously, that's the question because of the ACLs again that he's coming off, but um, for where you're getting him, you're pretty much getting him for free. And then when you do draft Palmer, just pair him with a, with a guy like maybe like a Ryan Tannehill or a, an Eli Manning, and then you're set. I really think Carson Palmer showed last season that he still has plenty left in the tank. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that, you know, it's hard to run in that division. And Andre Ellington got banged up last year when they tried to, you know, give him too big of a workload. And I think that one of the things that they're going to try to do is get uh, David Johnson and Andre Ellington into space. And, you know, whatever yards after the catch they get, that's going to count towards Palmer's passing yards. Um, And actually, you mentioned also that, you know, in the games that he was healthy last year, Palmer was a top 12 quarterback. He had a similar points per game as Tony Romo, Tom Brady, uh, and guys like Tannehill, Cam Newton, and Matt Ryan. And you can get them three to four rounds later at a cheap, cheap discount. Absolutely. Um, And I really, I wrote up, I did an article in one of the fantasy football diehard magazines. I did an offensive line write-up. And I really think the Cardinals' offensive line is going to take a huge step forward this season. So that can only help. I mean, two years ago, I think it was, Carson Palmer was the most pressured quarterback in the NFL. And uh, a huge chunk and a huge percentage of those interceptions he threw were when he was under pressure. So when he's given a clean pocket, he's very effective. And I think it'll be a lot better this season with that offensive line. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, Upati's a you know a top left tackle. And if Cooper's healthy, then that, that boosts their line a ton. Um, I wanted to mention real quick also another, I feel like, underrated quarterback that you could totally stream uh, who has the potential to be a top-five quarterback, and that's Sam Bradford. Um, again, he's got a 10th, 11th round, 11th round ADP right now. And, you know, if you took uh, Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez and combined their fantasy points last year, they would have been the number-five quarterback in fantasy. Um, and, you know, when Bradford was in college at Oklahoma, uh, the the offense that they ran was a spread offense that was very similar to what Chip Kelly runs, and I think that especially with the you know strong running game as we just mentioned with Demarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, um, you know Bradford isn't going to be pressured a ton, and I think that the only risk with him is health. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's missed thirty one of his eighty of eighty games during his career. It's definitely something you have to monitor and, and keep tabs on, but. I love Bradford, and now there's been sights of him at camp without the the huge, you know, the huge leg brace. So that's a good sign. He says he's he's going to be ready to play week one. So you look at back at 2013 when he played those seven games before tearing his ACL the second time. He was really good. I mean, he had 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, completed 61% of his passes, and that was in an offense that featured you know the likes of Tavon Austin and Austin Pettis at receiver. Um, this is going to be the best environment he's ever been in. Obviously, like I said, seventy or just under seventy-one plays per game the Eagles ran last season. And you talked about how Chip Kelly's offense helped guys like Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez produce. In the thirty-two games since um, Chip Kelly's taken over for the Eagles, their starting quarterback has scored at least fifteen fantasy points just under seventy percent of the time. So that uh, that right there just gives him a, a a strong floor of fifteen fantasy points. You can. I mean, almost expect that, I think, in this offense. Um, and I think Bradford is definitely more is, is definitely a better quarterback than Foles and Sanchez. So, And, I mean, you look at his opening schedule, and other than maybe the matchup at the Jets, I mean, it's incredible. You have at Atlanta, and then you have against Dallas, the Jets at Week 3, and the Redskins, Saints, and Giants. I mean, those not only are those secondaries not that appealing, they all have shootout written all over it, so I'm all in on Sam Bradford. And, you know, just a couple last quick notes on Bradford, too. You know, back when he was in St. Louis with, you know, Jeff Fisher and uh, Schottenheimer, 
you know, they didn't really give him the weapons to to kind of boost his value because they never really had a good offensive line and they misused Tavon Austin. They still probably are misusing Tavon Austin this year. And now he has, you know, Zach Ertz, Jordan Matthews, Josh Huff, Nelson Aguilar. They have a ton of weapons around him. And, you know, they've put him in a position to succeed. There's absolutely no excuse for Bradford after this season if he can't produce in this offense. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just hope he stays healthy. Well, that's the thing, though. For me, uh, you know, I don't see any risk in drafting him because if I take Sam Bradford... Oh, no, there's no risk. I just personally hope he stays healthy because the guy's had a terrible, <laughs> had some terrible Yeah, luck. absolutely. You're, you're rooting for him. You know, he won the Heisman. You want to see him do well. Um, but also, I meant from a fantasy standpoint, if you do take a risk on Bradford, right. all you have to do is spend one of your last few picks on Mark Sanchez because he can step in and put up, you know, similar numbers. And my favorite thing about having Sam Bradford um, and writing articles and about Sam Bradford and doing research about Sam Bradford is every time I, I look up his picture, it creeps me out more and more. It's fantastic if you've ever seen it. His, his ESPN picture is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I don't think of it. Let me pull it up real quick here. You should be able to see it. It's really creepy. He's got like one eye kind of closed. <laughs> He's got that sort of uh, crazed smile. Is that what you mean? Yeah, he, he, I mean, if he misses any game this season and it's not due to injury, it's probably because he's been arrested. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that wouldn't shock me. That, uh, now that you bring it up, that is, I, I highly recommend <laughs> that you all go uh, check out his uh, profile picture on ESPN real quick. It's, it's great. <laughs> all right, uh, let's, let's move on from Bradford then. We don't want to uh, say his name three times and, you know, have him show up. Um <laughs> Who's uh who's another guy on your list here? Um, this is such a such a guy. This is a guy I've been talking about a lot, and pretty much I'm kind of a boring type of guy, so this guy fits the bill. Um, we talked about the Niners a little bit earlier, but I can't get enough of Anquan Bolden. He's just being so disrespected right now. So the worst fantasy finish Anquan Bolden has ever had in his career was wide receiver 35, and he missed two games that year. In eight of the last 12 seasons, he's been a top 20 fantasy wideout. So that's 66% of the time. And over the last two seasons, he's been top 18 and top 15. So why is he going outside the – why is he barely being a top 50 wide receiver? The last time I checked on fantasy football calculator, he's being drafted as wide receiver 49. Uh, I don't understand that correlation because he's been producing despite the age that he's – you know, people talking about how he's so old, but he's played, I think, 90% of the snaps um, last season. He's going to see probably upwards of 130 targets in this offense, maybe even more if the Niners pass more like we expect them to. And the, the Niners don't throw to the running backs. I mean, maybe they do that more with Reggie Bush, but this is a team that, like you said, Colin Kaepernick kind of locks down on one guy, and that guy is going to be bold in this year. I don't think it's going to be Torrey Smith. Well, I think it's still a good fit in this offense because Kaepernick's laser on, but um, I just don't understand why Anquan Bolden is being drafted so late. I have him right now, if I look real quick, I have him as wide receiver 32, and I don't think that's too high considering the numbers I just said. He, the worst he ever was was 35, and he missed two games. So um, I, I think Anquan Bolden is one of the best values in, in fantasy football this season, not even close. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can put Bolden, you know, in the same category as guys like 
Frank Gore and Steve Smith, who, you know, despite their age, they still have that X factor that allows them to excel on the field. Um, and, you know, we mentioned earlier that, you know, Kaepernick kind of likes to lock on to his number one uh, read. And, and people don't realize that Anquan Bolden accounted for 27% of Colin Kaepernick's passing attempts last year. And I don't really see that, you know, going down that much. He's going to be, you know, that number one guy that Colin Kaepernick has built up that rapport with. And, you know, more than just, obviously, Bolden's not the fastest guy anymore at 34. You know, Torrey Smith is going to garner those deep targets. And Bolden isn't, you know, the best route runner, but he's got that just run angry mentality where, you know, on third down, Kaepernick's going to get the ball in his hands and he's going to somehow end up you know, getting the four yards or however many they need to get that first down. Yeah, and he catches almost everything. I mean, he's uh, he's just, I don't understand the, the, I don't even know if it's hate. I just think people just don't don't get excited drafting guys like that, so they don't. And I'm like the complete opposite. If I see a guy who's been producing, I don't care if he's 45 years old, I'll draft him if he's still in the league. Especially when you're producing like Angon Bolden has over his career. I mean, like I said, he's he's just been you know, consistently at least a top 20 guy. Why is he not being viewed as such? I, I don't get it. Yeah, I will say the the one uh, risk in, in drafting Bolden this year is kind of uh, what happened with Steve Smith last year where he had a really hot start, and he kind of trailed off after the first half of the season. Right. Um, and so I, I will say that if Bolden does have a hot start, I would look to, to trade him if at all possible. Um, I I don't know that I would trust him in the playoffs towards the end of the season as much. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. Um, if, I, I wouldn't if obviously Bolden isn't going to be your wide receiver one. He's probably not going to be wide receiver two. He may not even be a wide receiver three. So if you can find someone who's because people are going to go down. So if you could find somebody who lost a receiver to injury, and you know Anquan Bolden scored a touchdown in a couple games in a row where he's catching a lot of passes. Um, I definitely would not be opposed to selling high on him. I mean, you, you're not getting Bolden as a guy that you need in your draft because of the ADP. So, Yeah, absolutely. I think that he's a great value where he's currently going. So uh, another guy that I wanted to bring up, and you, know, you can kind of see a pattern here, um, is Giovanni Bernard. And it seems like I've, I'm talking up all these running backs who are perceived to be the lesser back in their, you know, backfield committee when really, you know, the the splits are not going to be as drastic as people think they are. Right now you can get Giovanni Bernard somewhere in the 5th round usually. Um, you know, their head coach Hugh Jackson has expressed his desire to want to run even more this year. And now, you know, they've got a healthy AJ Green. Uh, Marvin Jones should be back after breaking his foot last year. And hopefully uh, Tyler Eifert can finally stay healthy uh, and stay on the field. And, you know, if all three of these guys are healthy and out there, then the defense really can't stack the box against Cincinnati. And I just want to bring up that the last six weeks after Bernard missed three games and he returned from injury, he averaged 9.8 rushes per game for 39 yards, and he averaged 3.5 catches for 28 yards. And honestly, that's not a bad rap given where he's going. He That would have been about 8.7 points per game in standard, making him uh, the running back 29. And that would have been 12.2 points per game in PPR, which would have made him the running back 23. 
And I think that he's got plenty of upside. Um, you know, again, if Hill were to get injured at any point, I think that he's, you know, a pretty solid running back three in standard and easily a running back two in PPR. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I definitely think Jeremy Hill is going to see more work than Giovanni Bernard. I don't know if it's going to be as much as people are anticipating because people forget Hugh Jackson loves Giovanni Bernard. Uh, he's loved him ever since his rookie year. He still loves him. And from week 12 on last year, I mean, Jeremy Hill was a bell cow. He averaged 20 touches a game, but Gio still averaged 13 and a half almost. So he's not going away. Um, he's going to, I think he's going to catch around 50 to 60 balls this season. Um, and, and that obviously has its own value. And, you know, I'm looking at ESPN projections again. They only have him for 128 carries. I think he definitely sees more than that, regardless of if Hill gets hurt. So, um, in an offense where they're going to, I think they're going to want to run the ball. I, I know Hugh Jackson loves to run the ball, and I know he loves Giovanni Bernard. Um, I, I like that he's slipping, and I hope he keeps slipping, because while Jeremy Hill was amazing last season, and while I think he's going to be pretty good this season as well, um, Giovanni Bernard is definitely not just going to disappear. So, all right, um, we're kind of running short on time. So why don't you and I each take two more guys um, and then we'll cut it off at that point. All right, sounds good. Um, been talking about this guy recently, the more I look at it, and Vincent Jackson's also a pretty good value. Um, he only caught 16% of his end zone targets last season, and which is kind of different and kind of odd for him because this is a guy who was such a good touchdown score and such a good, you know, end zone and red zone threat. I mean, the previous five seasons, he converted 43% of his end zone targets into touchdowns. And actually, last season, it was 13%, not 16 So it's even worse. That's not going to happen again, I think, this season. I think Tampa Bay is going to try to run the ball. I think they're going to fail because I think Doug Martin is terrible. I don't think Charles Sims is all that great. And the offensive line is also not that great. So I expect them to throw the ball a lot. And they paid Jackson almost $10 million when they brought him into Tampa Bay. They're not just going to have Mike Evans do all the work. Um, I think Jackson's going to see, you know, close to 120 targets. Um, and he's not going to have two touchdowns uh, like last season. That's just not going to happen. He's too talented. He's too big. And Jameis Winston, whether you think he's good or not, he just he is not afraid to throw it up. And this is probably one of the one or two you know, landing spots where that may be okay sometimes when you have two six five guys in Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson. So um, I, I think when Tampa gets in close, they're going to want to throw the football. And Vincent Jackson, I think, is definitely going to see more than two touchdowns. And, I mean, he still had 15 end zone targets last year. That's a lot of end zone targets. I'm not talking red zone. I mean end zone. Yeah, I think the problem was that, you know, between McCown and Glennon that a lot of those targets were, you know, uncatchable. And, that you know, with Winston there, you know, again, regardless of, you know, how many turnovers he's going to commit or how good, you know, his completion percentage is going to be in this first year, I think he's going to be good enough to at least be more accurate than Glennon and McCown. Absolutely. And like I said, he's been a guy who's produced in that role plenty of times in his career I think he gets back in into that into that situation this year yeah and you know I, I think that's actually a, a great place for us to transition to uh someone that I really wanted to talk about and that's Mike Evans um by no means would I call Mike Evans a sleeper but I thought that it's very interesting that I've seen a lot of the analysts out there saying that 
oh, you know, Evans is due to regress. You know, he probably won't keep up uh, his touchdown rate. You know, he scored 12 touchdowns last year. And I don't know why that's not possible because, you know, obviously he was kind of overshadowed by Odell Beckham's historic rookie season last year. But a lot of people are forgetting that Evans had, you know, an absolutely dominant rookie campaign himself with over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. And again, you know, say what you will about Winston, but he's a huge quarterback upgrade here. And I just want to bring up uh, an interesting quote that I that makes me like Evans even more. Um, you know, in a recent interview, uh, somebody was talking to him, and he told the reporter that he didn't understand when a quarterback would look him off and not target him because Evans thinks that he is always open uh, and, quote, just throw that thing up, unquote. And, you know, this is a match made in heaven because Winston is a fearless quarterback and he's going to give Evans those opportunities. Um, you know, he had Kelvin Benjamin back at Florida State um, and he had 1,000 yards and 15 touchdowns. And now he's got, you know, a similar huge receiver in Evans who I think is far more talented than Kelvin Benjamin. And I think that, you know... I don't think that Evans needs to regress at all. If anything, that he could even improve upon his, you know, production from last year. Yeah, I think he's going to catch more than sixty-eight balls because he's he's not just a red zone guy. I mean, he stretches the field. He made a lot of big plays downfield last season. That was, I mean, all of his touchdowns weren't just you know five yards out from the end zone, throw it up and come down with it. He made a lot of big plays down the field. And I, I like the point that you made with Jameis Winston. I've told that to a lot of people I've talked to. It's, it really is the perfect marriage because Winston has a strong arm and is not afraid to throw, throw it up. And that's the, that's the person that Mike Evans, you know, can kind of kind of salvage stuff from with, with his size and his physicality. So I'm not down on Mike Evans at all. I actually have him number 10 overall. So he's top 10 for me. I have him ahead of guys like Cobb and Hilton. I think, I think his touchdown, you can expect him – I think 10 touchdowns is his floor. I really do. If, if this offense isn't, you know, you got, you got to think the offense is a little bit better with Winston and Vincent Jackson should be better. And if they have any sort of running game, it'll be better. So I think he catches around 80 balls and scores at least 10 touchdowns. I mean, I, I think Mike Evans is a stud. Yeah, and I just, uh, I just want to throw in there real quick. Um, I think that Vincent Jackson is going to take away, you know, a decent portion of those red zone targets. Um, but in a couple seasons after Vincent Jackson is gone from Tampa, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Evans had a record-breaking season with, you know, 17 or 18 touchdowns. I think that he and Winston are going to be, you know, that same connection that Jay Cutler has with Brandon Marshall or that Aaron Rodgers has with Jordy Nelson. I think that the two of them in tandem are going to be, you know, top fantasy players for the next five, seven years. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see the Cutler-Marshall one. Not so sure about the Rodgers one just because uh, I don't ever want to put Jameis Winston in Aaron Rodgers territory. <laughs> but the, the Cutler-Brandon Marshall comparison I think is really, really, really valid, and I could see it. All right, so um, why don't we each take one more guy, um, and then we'll try to wrap it up. Sounds good. I I was going to take Aaron Foster, but you know there's not really much to talk about, and we already touched on that. So um, I kind of wanted to get – your thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys backfield situation because I've talked to a handful of people about it and uh, I've been trying to, you know, to gauge it a little bit. And uh, what do you think about that situation? 
Well, I think that Joseph Randall is getting way, way overhyped. Um, I think that, you know, going back and watching his tape from last year, I do think that he's a talented running back, but I think that his 6.7 yards per carry um, is kind of inflated because he was the backup. And, you know, anytime you look at a backup running back stats, they're going to be inflated because usually when they're on the field, it means that either A, um, the opposing defense has already been tired out by the lead back, um, or B, the game is so out of hand that he's playing against, you know, other second string guys because it's already a blowout. So when I look at his stats, um, I try not to take uh, the yards per carry into consideration. Um, that said, he is going to be playing behind one of the best run blocking lines in the NFL, if not the best. And I think that does present opportunity, but his ADP is just skyrocketing way, way too much for me. I think that, you know, Lance Dunbar is going to steal away some receptions on third down. Um, if, and it's a big if, uh, Darren McFadden ever gets healthy, I think he is going to cut a little bit into the workload. I, I think that Randall is going to be the lead back, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near um, the dominating amount of touches that DeMarco Murray had. And I think that uh, looking back, um, you know, we always make fun of Jerry Jones and the Cowboys for, you know, paying too much for a player. But I think this is one instance in which they actually should have retained their stud running back. Yeah, um, pretty much the Dallas situation for me is I don't I don't want to invest a pick that highly in Joseph Randall. I'm with you. I think he's going a little bit too high. And I would rather just wait and see or maybe even just get a guy like Lance Dunbar really late and kind of see if he pans out and if he gets a role. But I will say, Joseph Randall is definitely a talented running back. I mean, I'm looking on ESPN right now. It says that 12 of, 12 of his 55 touches gained 10-plus yards. So, I mean, he makes big plays. I mean, he had two touchdown runs of 40 yards or more last season alone. So, obviously, that inflated his yards per carry. But he can make big plays behind that offensive line. It's that much easier. But uh, I'm with you. I'm kind of letting somebody else take Joseph Randall. And, you know, maybe I'll just take Darren McFadden super late now that he's already banged up and kind of see if he plays a role in this and, and causes a role for himself in this offense. Yeah, I think just in general, I'm more of a risk-adverse fantasy player, and I, I just don't want to invest that highly in a guy that we've never seen, you know, get 100, 200 touches in a season. And honestly, back, you know, a month or two ago, you know, when he could have been gotten in the seventh or eighth round even, I think at that point, you know, his ADP was reasonable given the risk that is factored in. But now you're kind of drafting him, not necessarily at his ceiling, because his ceiling is a top 10 back like Murray was last year. Um, and he's, it'd definitely be crazy to take him, you know, in the first or second round. But you're still, you're still drafting him purely for his upside and not really pricing in the risk of what could happen uh, if it is more of a committee than we, we expect it to be right now. So uh, speaking of um, backfield situations, let's, uh, let's end on another interesting debate that I, I'm seeing all over you know, podcasts and Twitter right now, and that is the Detroit running back situation. Um, we actually uh, did our Quick Snaps episode um, a couple weeks ago uh, about the Detroit Lions, and uh, Lokes and I discussed our um, disagreement over Joyke Bell and Amir Abdullah. And, uh, you know, Amir Abdullah's ADP has been creeping up uh, lately. 
and he's now joined Joyke Bell in the mid to late fifth round if you want him. So you can get both at a similar price. And I'm just curious as to, you know, who, you know, given the, the, given the option as a running back two, who you would personally draft. It's interesting because I'm not crazy about George Bell this season, but in mock drafts that I've done, I've been fine with getting him while I was getting him as a running back three because I, I don't think Amir Abdullah is going to come in and dominate, but I also don't think George Bell is going to, you know, dominate the touches either. In PPR leagues, I really think Amir Abdul, and they were they, the Lions have been talking him up as, you know, they, they're saying, you know, we didn't think he, he, we want him playing a role that he's that they're planning on him use, uh, utilizing him in, in, in the passing game, and they're excited about using him in the passing game. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he was a great pass catcher in college, and I, I believe he didn't even drop a single pass, um, in his final two seasons in Nebraska. So, I mean, the guy's definitely a good fit for the offense, but. Again, another guy who I'm not sure I'm going to kind of jump on board with his ADP because Joy Bell is probably going to get goal line work there. Um, although I, I will say Joy Bell has me concerned as well because, you know, this is a 29 year old running back coming off, you know, Achilles injuries, um, you know, coming off uh, an Achilles injury and a knee injury. So, um, if I had to pick one, I might just kind of stick with Joyce Bell right now because he's going to keep slipping, and I know that you know he's still going to play a role in this offense, whereas Abdullah, I haven't seen him yet. And Joyce Bell really wasn't that good from an efficiency standpoint last season, but he still posted serviceable fantasy numbers because of the touchdowns. Yeah, I'm glad you brought, brought that up, uh, the efficiency metric, because... You know, looking at his college game tape uh, at Nebraska, um, you know, Amir Abdullah isn't the fastest guy. He ran a 4.6 uh, in the 40-yard dash of the combine. But when I watch him run, I just see him make those decisive cuts, and then he kind of just explodes out of the hole. And, I, you know, going back and looking at Joyke Bell's tape, he looks like Matt Asiata compared right. to Amir Abdullah, in my opinion. And I just think that sooner or later, you know, regardless of Bell's experience. Um, I think that as long as Amir Abdullah proves that he can do, you know, crucial pass protection assignments and, you know, just understand the offense, I think that he's going to be the starter sooner than later in that Detroit offense. And I think that it's almost been handed to him on a silver platter since Joyke Bell still is not practicing, uh, you know, following his recovery from the knee and Achilles surgery that he underwent. And I think that this is shaping up to basically be Amir Abdullah's opportunity to become the lead back in Detroit. And I would t- I would definitely 100% take him over Joyke Bell at, you know, given their their similar price. For sure. If if they're going and I haven't checked recently, I haven't checked on fantasy calculator or um anything like that, but if they're going at the same price point, at the same range, oh, 100% I want Amir Abdullah. I I, I think he's clearly the more talented back. I think he's going to catch a decent amount of passes in this offense. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he did end up starting. But, um, you know, if he's going a, a lot earlier now because of the, the news and, and the situation with Bell, um, you know, maybe I'll just kind of pass on him and, and take and take George Bell as a running back four if I can get him at later, running back three, and kind of hope he still has his role as, as the goal line back and an offense that should see a lot of, you know, red zone opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
Adam, I just want to uh, thank you for coming on. You know, you have some great insights, and I think that, you know, you are uh, definitely one of the writers that I respect a lot. Um, I always see you tweet out uh, a lot of interesting stats, and, um, you know, it's oh, been yeah, great to have you. That. Uh, you guys are doing a good job on the podcast. Um, definitely, I've been itching the podcast, so I appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, this Sunday is the last Sunday without football for a while, so it's, it's getting to that time. It should be fun. Oh, yeah, I, I cannot tell you just how excited I am for football to be back. Um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be able to have you back on at some point during Sounds the good. season. I'm definitely for it. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Well, you can follow Adam uh, at uh, A-P-F-E-I-F-E-R-24. That's A-Pfeiffer24. Um, and as always, you can follow me, Mung, at F-F-A underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Um, and you can follow our producer, Dan, at FFA underscore Dan. Um, again, we will be uh, going back to our quick snaps, uh, our team-by-team breakdowns. And uh, thanks for joining us, addicts. Peace out. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there. And the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.